Ziploc that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Trap Draw Podcast. My name is Randy. I've been gone the last couple of weeks. I hope everybody enjoyed those episodes. Big thanks to Tron Carter for holding down the fort. My guest today is Beth Ann Nichols. We're going to talk all about women's golf. Of course, it's KPMG week, a major week on the women's calendar. They are at Congressional in Bethesda, Maryland, which I'm super excited to see. Before I bring Beth Ann in, though, I want to thank a couple of sponsors today. The first being Roback, Roback Activewear. They've been gaining traction big time. We love the fit and feel of their gear. The quality is top notch. want to talk about three products. The first, their performance polos fit so much better than your typical boxy polo. They have awesome designs. Their four-way stretch material is next level and wrinkle-free. The collars never lose their shape. Combine it all, and that's why Roback polos are unmatched. The second, their performance Q-Zips are a game changer when it comes to spring or fall golf. They're so soft, you'll be throwing darts all day. They're perfect for a crisp early morning 18, a run around the block, a day in the office, or a night out. Truly the definition of versatile. And then last but not least, their performance hoodies, legitimately the most comfortable hoodies we've worn on the course and off of it. I think it's Honestly, it's my favorite hoodie right now in my closet. The things are just asking to be worn out on the links too. First-time users, if you haven't had a chance to check out Roback, go to roback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's roback.com, code TRAP, for 20% off all polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and tees. Trust us when we say you can't beat Roback. Check them out now. The other sponsor I want to thank is Pinehurst Golf Resorts. You can find them at pinehurst.com as you're booking summer, fall, winter travel this year. As you're thinking about 2023 trips, I would urge you to check out and consider Pinehurst. I think everybody at this point knows about the excellence of Pinehurst number two. It's truly a world-class championship golf course. Pinehurst number four, Gil Hans's creation is, I, I think, the most fun walk there is at Pinehurst. Uh, let's see, the cradle awesome par three course this will do which i always mention is i truly i think my favorite putting course that i've encountered and then off the course they have uh the north south bar which is an awesome place to have a cocktail piners brewing company good food good atmosphere lots of tvs a really fun place to hang out as far as lodging from the carolina hotel the holly inn lots of lots of options so go over to pinehurst.com check out all the stay and play packages Tons of stuff to do off the course as well as you consider your spring, summer, winter, uh, and 2023 golf. We thank Pinehurst for being a sponsor of the Trap Draw. And now, without further ado, let me welcome in Beth Ann Nichols. Uh, she is a senior writer at Golf Week. She's the president of the Golf Writers of America. You can find her on Twitter, at Golf Week Nichols. Beth Ann Thank you so much for joining again. I uh, I can't wait to catch up with you. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing well. I'm excited to, to get up to congressional later this week and, and get started. It's hard to believe there are three majors still left on the schedule for the LVGA. I know. I know. Uh, they, they, they come pretty quickly here now. Um, I know you have not seen congressional in person. I have not either. You and I are we're, we're recording this on Monday. We're both flying Tuesday. So very excited to look at it. Everything I've seen it looks fantastic. It looks like a true major championship course. Extremely excited to see it in person. Yes. And, and, you know, Carrie Hag, who's the setup guy for the PGA of America, I feel like does a great job. Uh, usually year in and year out in the women's PGA. And obviously he sets up the courses for the Olympics as well for the men and women playing the same, same course. So uh, I expect, I expect a good test, but uh, you know, I expect a fair test. Me too. And I was talking to Lauren Coughlin. She was she was on site uh, this past weekend, and she was saying, "Oh my gosh, it could be very challenging." We'll we'll see how the actual course setup comes to fruition come Thursday and and round one. But it has the potential to be quite challenging. Um, I know there's you know this time of year in in the Midwest and East Coast, there's always a chance of storms, but. Hopefully not too much rain comes down on the course and it, it could be quite the fiery setup. At least that's what I'm hoping. Likewise. Yes. And usually like, you know, when players are playing from the maxed out tips on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, they, they get into kind of freak out mode and, and then invariably it shortens up as the, as the contest gets underway. So, um, so it'll, it, you know, if MB Park can reach all the greens and regulation, we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's my yeah. litmus test. <laughs> yeah. Lauren did tell me, she was like, well, at least in my first practice round, I had three wood into one of the par fours and she's got like a utility wood that she hit into a couple more of the par fours. So it will oh. be, yeah, we'll be quite curious to see what, what length they settle at for, uh, for some of the holes. For sure. For sure. Well, I last talked to you, gosh, it's been a couple months now, uh, a lot going on in, in the world of LPGA and women's golf more broadly. I guess let's start with the last major, the U.S. Women's Open from Pine Needles. Uh, of course, Minji Lee won in convincing fashion by four shots over Mina Haragay. It was Minji Lee's second major in as many years. And Tell me what what were what were your big takeaways from the U.S. Women's Open, and specifically, I guess, with Minji Lee. It, it feels like to me she's now right alongside Jin Young Ko, and if if Nelly Korda comes back and regains her form, it's it's almost like those three seem like the real class of of women's golf right now. Yeah, you know, I think when when we looked at and Minji Lee and, and how she attacked that golf course, you know, and then you look statistically at the fact that she's hitting the ball about 10 yards further now. And, and so you take a player who already was a tremendous ball striker, great iron player, and then you put a shorter club in her hand. And, and then you add to that, the fact that she has this incredible, even keel, calm demeanor and, and you start thinking, wow, you know, this is, this is definitely a number one player in the making. And, and I've been thinking about this too, because, you know, Minji Lee is 26 years old and Lydia Ko is 25. Lydia's from New Zealand, Minji, Australia. They grew up playing a lot of the same tournaments. They were on the same trajectory. And then all of a sudden, you know, Lydia went into like war piper mode, right. And became the youngest to do everything. <laughs> 
And, and, and yet here we are today, they have the same number of major titles. Both of them have two. Obviously Lydia has more LPGA titles than Minji does. Minji's at 11, Lydia's at 17, but, but you really feel like Minji's best golf is ahead of her and that she hasn't even hardly surfaced. That is the feeling I got leaving Pine Needles. And, and yet we, we tend to wonder if Lydia's best golf is behind her. So it's really an, an interesting, I don't know why I started thinking about that this morning, but uh, you know, I just, it, cause, cause they were neck and neck, you know, for a long time. And then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> Lydia won an LPJ event at 15 and it was over. <laughs> that's, that's a great point. And it, it is fascinating. I, I guess where my, my mind naturally wonders to is Lydia and the age at which she accomplished all of that, I, I think really skewed my perception of the LPGA tour a bit in, in the sense that on the women's side, historically uh, players have come along that have accomplished, you know, major championships and, and had great success at earlier ages, typically than, than on the men's side. And, and I think Lydia only reinforced that perception and, and almost was like, Hey, if you're not super successful by your early twenties, it, it's almost late in the game. But I, I, I wonder if, you know, Minji, being 26 and and seemingly really rounding into a, a prime of her career, maybe we need to readjust that. Well, what's your sense on sense on kind of the uh, you know the the age at play on the LPGA tour? Yeah, you know, I know we're going to talk about amateur golf a little bit later, but this seemingly is a great segue to note that it's stunning the number of players who are talking about staying four years and playing four years of college golf, good, really good players. And you look at Leona McGuire, who is a very proud four year <laughs> graduate, you know, coming into form into her, you know, coming into her own as a player now in her mid twenties. And, and you kind of wonder if, if maybe the Stacy Lewis model is starting to come about again, you know, and, and I think that's a really healthy thing because, mm-hmm. you know, I was just looking at, players on the tour, you know, who, who are overdue to win a major as we go into another major. And remember, you know, 2016, Lydia and Brooke had this fantastic playoff at Sahali. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is just going to be such a fun run. And neither of them have won a major since 2016. It's like, what? How did that happen? Right? You know, same thing with Lexi Thompson. How does she only have one major? How does Jessica Corda have no majors? You know, I, and so... You know, this in, in terms of being, you know, fan favorites, this is a big hole in the in the LPGA uh, storytelling line in here because, you know, fans really tune in for these moments for for congressional. They tune in for pine needles. And so anyways, I, I, I hope that that maybe the the LPGA age is moving a little bit higher in terms of peak, because I understand that. Obviously, women, you know, once their children, if they want to have kids and play on, continue playing on tour, once their children get to kindergarten, it's all bets are off. Now it's a part-time schedule after that because there, there is a ticking time limit here where, where women don't want to be gone and leave their kids at home the entire time. So, um, so that is very different than the men, and that won't ever change no matter what. But I do like the fact that we're seeing some quote-unquote late bloomers. And just sticking with Minji, 
what have you had a chance to spend much time with her either on the course or off the course? Have, have you written, you know, I, I know you write about her, but just for, she's one person that I don't quite have a great sense of personality. What makes her tick that, that sort of stuff. I wish I could help you. <laughs> I mean, like, let, I'll be honest with you. Like I've, I've, there have been quite a few players that I've gone to their home countries and I've, you know, shadowed them and I've walked a lot of practice rounds with, and Minji is not that player. I, I, I have found it hard to really, really get to know her, uh, you know, through the interview process. And, and she's as, she's as friendly as she can be. But, you know, she she's she's not going to really go into great detail about a lot of things. And so, um, you know, I don't know, maybe does that change as she, you know, gets more comfortable and and, you know, becomes, you know, when she becomes the number one player, does a lot more press. Does does she get better at it? I don't I don't know. I I, I hope so. Um, and of course, that's a very selfish thing for me to say because I'm looking for deep, thoughtful, you know, bear your soul answers. And so, <laughs> uh, when right. I say get better, that just means for what I want. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but no, I mean, you know, I I I I will say MB Park grew into one of the most thoughtful players on tour. I love listening to MB Park at press conferences, and she grew into that. So, you know, I, I think that, and that happened in 2013, you know, after she, you know, was going for the, the grand slam and, and was in this crazy spotlight. So we tend to talk about Kari a lot with Minji and, and the, the influence that, that Webby, as she, as you know, she calls her and a lot of people call her has had on her. And that's, that's a fun storyline. Her brother, obviously a fun storyline. He came on, um, on the the live from said the other day when we were all interviewing him and he said uh that he's like a squiggly line and she's like the straight line you know and i and i i totally could see that about their personalities you know and so but i think that very thing where where i feel like i don't know minji very well is probably one of the things that makes her such a great player because she is so calm and cool and and you know she's just kind of chill you know <laughs> She, she is that that's, that's, that has struck me too. Watching her is, is just, I, I've never seen her too high or too low. Um, and I'm, I don't even know if, you know, if, if she's ever gotten that way on the golf course, but it is striking to, to just see her kind of calm, flat line demeanor, uh, throughout, you know, like, a, a closing out the U S women's open was, it, it, it was very, very impressive. Another big story, I, I think, uh, especially as we go forward the rest of the year, emerging from uh, the, the U.S. Open was the return of Nellie Corda. And she followed up a, a pretty good week at Pine Needles with a very good week in Grand Rapids uh, coming up just short. Does it surprise you at all how well she's playing after her, her long layoff with uh, dealing with the blood clot issues? Yes. I, I, you know, and maybe it, it, I mean, she's obviously so uber talented and has been practicing her whole life for this, but anytime you take months off, you know, in general, I think we should expect some kind of competitive rust unless you're Jen Yonko or NB Park who tend to come back like they've never left. But, um, but apparently she's just like, (laughs) so you know, I mean, just, just jump right into the U.S. Women's Open and, you know, nice little top 10 and then losing the playoff the, the following time you tee it up at the Meyer. I mean, I, I think 
her perspective has been great too, you know, and anytime that you're forced to, to give something up that you love for a period of time, it certainly impacts your perspective and, you know, it's, to listen to her after the playoff loss at, in Michigan, you know, she said, if you'd asked me four or five months ago, you know, if you told me four or five months ago that I'd, you know, be in this position, she said, I'd be extremely happy. So, uh, you know, I, I think that just says to me, look out for the rest of the summer. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think too, everything I've always heard about Nellie is her competitiveness and her desire to, be the best and, and be great. And I'm excited because no doubt she's taking note of what Minji Lee is doing. And, and I'm sure that's motivating as well for Nelly. Uh, obviously she was neck and neck with Jin Young Ko all last season. And the, the, the more world-class players that, that are really at the height of their game, it's just exceptional for, uh, for women's golf. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully Nelly comes back very motivated and ready to prove that, you know, hey, I'm still could be the, the best player in the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one to watch. You know, you, you definitely nailed it in terms of her personality and how she how she thinks. On more of a, a bummer from the U, from the U.S. Open week was the Danielle Kang news, um, her medical situation. She's dealing with a recently diagnosed tumor on her spine. It, it sounds, I mean, anytime the word tumor and, and spine is involved, it's it's obviously not great. Have you heard anything more about what's going on with her? And, you know, I, I made the point during our recap podcast, like my first thought is like, I just hope this doesn't affect her, her life, uh, let alone the golf. But do you know any more details on, on what she's looking at in terms of, you know, the prognosis or, or how long she'll be away? I do not. And I have reached out to her agent. I haven't heard back yet. You know, after talking to her in person at Pine Needles, I kind of was falling into the give her some space mode because it is such a scary, serious thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, you know, I, given that she's a past champion of this event and we knew she wasn't going to play, but you know, it seemed like appropriate to check in and see, you know, how she's doing, if there are any updates, because you like, like you said, it is a very scary thing. And, and I asked her, it, is it cancerous? And, and she, she, she didn't know. And so hopefully she has gotten some good news and a good report since we last talked and, and, and hopefully we will see her back sooner rather than later. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it just seems like such a, a heavy thing that you, you want to know, is she okay? But, but at the same time, you know, I kind of wanted to give her some space too. So it's, I can't imagine emotionally what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well said last thing from the, from the U S open is just your thoughts on pine needles as a venue. It's obviously been a, a very important venue in women's golf throughout the years. Um, the, the championship returned there this year. I thought it was good. I, my, my one complaint is I, I thought maybe they could have made it a little bit more difficult, but that's usually my takeaway watching <laughs> you know, men's or women's every U S open. My question though, for you is with the USGA and, and the women headed to some really, really awesome locations over the next several years, you know, places like Pebble beach, uh, Riviera, Pinehurst, number two, um, not to shortchange anybody else. Where in your opinion, does pine needles still fit? And I guess, does it still fit? Should it be an anchor site for, for the women for a U.S. open? So 
I want to I want to talk about setup and I want to talk about this. First of all, my opinion on whether or not we should be going back to pine needles. And when I say we, I mean women's golf. Um, I, I at first I thought no. Why are we? Why aren't they playing at number two every time? Because that's the course everybody thinks of. That's where the men go. And then I was reminded that really and truly there are so few female pioneers of the game who established something like pine needles, which is what Peggy Kirk Bell did such an icon, uh, not only as, as a terrific player, this woman won a major as an amateur and then turned around and played in the Curtis cup. And then, you know, close friends with babe Zaharias, just, just a, a treasure of a woman. And, and so many thousands of women have come to know the game and learn the game and her legendary Gafaris that, you know, it feels like it's a place that, that the USGA should return to because her memory should continue to be celebrated and live and live on. And I do think it's a great golf course. Uh, you know, I, I definitely think that the setup could have been better. Uh, I thought the scores were too low early on in, in the tournament. And I, I understand that you have 156 players that you're trying to get around. And so Thursday and Friday can't be as penal. I get that. But it was, it was too low. <laughs> and on Sunday, by contrast, I felt like it was too tough. And we couldn't have anybody come from behind and really challenge Minji because she wasn't going to come out and shoot 80. So, you know, you, you, nobody could really make a run at her and it just kind of sucked the drama out of the final round. So, you know, I, I feel like they could have spread that difficulty out a little bit over the course of the four rounds, because I do think, on the other hand, though, playing devil's advocate here, in the men's game, we want to see carnage usually at the men's open, right? But people tune into the men's open or to the men's game week in and week out. They know how good the men are, and they're rooting for carnage because they know that it's, it's, it's an anomaly. It's not indicative of, the, of their talent. But on the other hand, for the women's game, the U.S. Women's Open might be the only time some people tune in. And so if it's carnage all over the place, that's a bad look for the women's game. And, and we don't, there, nobody wants to be embarrassed. The women don't want to be embarrassed. They don't need to be hitting three woods into par fours and crazy stuff like that. So, so you know, I, I definitely think there's a balance where, yes, we want it to be difficult because it should be the, the biggest test in, of the year in, in both the men's and women's games. So the scores were too low, should have been a little bit more difficult Sunday, Suck the fun out. <laughs> I, I find it hard to disagree with any of that. And I think one of my frustrations is I, I don't like how the USGA has seemingly moved to this system where they, they gradually get the course harder from Thursday to Sunday. Because as you said, I, one, I, I just think personally, like why, why should the course be that different by Sunday of a championship than it is on Thursday or Friday? Um, and you bring up good points about, you know, if, if somebody like Minji establishes a, a big lead, yes, it's going to be much harder for anybody to run her down, uh, unless she just totally implodes, which she didn't. I, I yeah, I, I just think like, let's have a, a pretty consistent setup and, and that's, that's sufficiently challenging. I, I think my big thing is just having the greens firm right? The firmness of greens and, and demanding that, that players play 
certain types of shots to be able to hold greens instead of just, you know, kind of blindly automatically flying at the distance and, and counting on the ball to stop. I, I think that's, that's what really makes, you know, we saw it in round three of the men's open um, last weekend, right? Guys couldn't just fly it to a number and expect the ball to stop. You, you had to really consider the, the, the trajectory and, you know, the rollout and all of that stuff. So I thought that's where I agree with you. I thought pine needles, is a course tailor-made where you can get those greens super firm and really dictate a style of play that challenges the the approach shot, but um, left especially a little to be desired. Have, especially when you have virtually no rough, right? Ex- exactly, so. exactly. So, well, I'm glad, Bethann. I'm, I'm glad, you know, I, I think we, we, we kind <laughs> we of... It, right? Yeah, we kind of agree there, but it's simple. Um, <laughs> let me ask you about Lynn Grant. Hopefully people have, have at least read or seen her name by now. Can, can you talk about the history that she made over uh, in Scandinavia and really truly what that means for, for the women's game? Yeah, so this is the Scandinavian Mixed, which was held in Sweden, and, and the hosts are Annika Sorensam and Henrik Stenson. And it's, it's the first event really where you have the the european tour and the lp or the let excuse me coming together and and they're playing for the exact same purse so they're playing against each other but from different tees men and women so very very cool concept and and it's interesting too i don't want to forget to say this that lynn grant won just a few weeks prior on the let and made uh, $30,000. And then when she won this event, co-sanctioned with the men, she won $300,000. So an enormous yeah. increase. But yeah. I mean, while the, the money is a fun side now, it, it was the way she won. You know, it wasn't just that she won. It was that she blew everyone away, male and female, and and just absolutely put the hammer down. And it was so fun to watch. It was such an absolute clinic. And, and, you know, I, I, I feel like there are going to be people who are going to say it, but they didn't play from the same tees. Cause that was on my Twitter feed. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't even, I don't even respond. Cause it's just so frustrating that anyone would think that, I mean, the, the next female competitor was 14 strokes behind her. So it's not like, you know, the women were all shooting these incredibly low numbers and the men that that wasn't the case. She beat the field by nine. Like she just demolished everyone. So, so I, you know, it's just a, just a silly, you know, ignorant comment. And, and I, I, I just, I love, I love the format. I hate that it absolutely got overshadowed by everything going on in, you know, with live golf and, and, and mm-hmm. London and uh, just, just all the craziness going on because it really was terrific golf. And, and Lynn Grant herself, are, are you very familiar with her? What, I, at least from a high level, what, what's her, what's her story? So, so Lynn Grant, it, the first time I really like pretty much saw her at the same, I was at an event that, that she was playing in was Shoal Creek at the Osamans Open. She was playing in the, the penultimate group on the weekend and, 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 you know, fell, fell, fell down the board early on, had, had a rough start. And of course she goes to Arizona state. She's, you know, a, a tremendous player. <laughs> we see her again at the women's open in 2020, again, in a similar spot. And, 
and has her dad on the bag. And, and, and I started talking to her about the last time she was in this position. And this, I just love this story. She's like, well, my dad and I, you know, it's sort of the first hole and, and she has this approach. They look down, they think it's, it says in the yardage book, 89 says in the sprinkler head, 89, but anyways, it was upside down. <laughs> so she, she, air, she air mouths the green by 20 yards. Like, and it was just all downhill from there. Like just, just completely she's like pulling your six instead of your nine sort of thing, you know, and nine iron. So it was, it was, a, it was a tragic start, but, but, but talking to her coach, walking around at, at Houston, a Swedish national coach talking about her. And he's like, you know, she said at Shoal Creek before that uh, minor, minor mishap, you know, she said, someone needs to win this week. Someone will win this week. Why can't it be me? And here she is, you know, just a teenage amateur. And, and that's her mentality. And, and we're, we're talking about the fact that only one amateur has ever won the U.S. Women's Open. And, and, and her coach says, you know, Lynn, Lynn loves records, you know, like, that, that's just her mentality. So, you know, I just think she has this um, killer instinct about her and, uh, and I think the Swedish national program is fantastic in developing talent yeah. and very wise in sending their players, you know, over to the United States for college golf. And she really honed her skills uh, at Arizona State. And 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 she did go to Q, Q series last year, but she did not finish in the top 20. So she's obviously elected to play uh, the ladies European tour close to home rather than play the Epson tour because she has Epson tour status as well. She could have played the Epson tour full time. Uh, but you know, gosh, why would she look at what she's doing over there? I mean, obviously the Epson tour is an automatic card, uh, in terms of if you finish in the top 10. So there is that, that road to a card, but you know, maybe she, I haven't asked her this, but I, I assume, you know, playing close to home was very appealing to her for this year. Do you know, will we see her, will she be at KPMG for instance? Or... No, I, okay. I Googled to see if they were going to give her a sponsor's invite. Yeah. I was like, please give her a sponsor invite because they do that at this event. And she did not get one. And so I was really bummed because I, I just thought, what a great way to, 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 to so many people miss this story or it didn't get the amount of love that it deserved. And so if she would have been playing this week at Congressional, it would have been a beautiful thing to kind of, you know, get that that conversation going again. Exactly. Uh, and just to put some stats on, I, she's, she's the hottest professional golfer in the world. I, I think it's probably not close male or female, uh, going back one year to the 2021 Scandinavian mixed. She's played 12 events worldwide. Her worst finish is a tie for 13th. Uh, she has 11 top tens, two runner ups and four wins. It, it's just staggering. Uh, the success that she's having, We'll for sure see her next year at the Solheim Cup, but I guess I'll be very curious whether she tries to make that move onto the LPGA Tour, uh, either full time for the 2023 season, or you know maybe I, I don't know about the Evian or the Women's British Open, but I, I'm hoping to see her in a few uh, majors at least coming up this year. She'll, she'll be in both of those because, because of her LET status. But uh, I am like 99% sure that she won a title at North Barrick. I wish I had my notes in front of me. Um, so she could be a, uh, a, a Muirfield favorite, you know, wouldn't that be fun? Talk yeah. about 
talk about something to really, you know, get people talking, you know, the first woman to, to win a European tour event, then goes and becomes the first woman to win a major at Muirfield. That would be amazing. Amen to that. And yeah, it seems like the, the Swedish really have something figured out as far as developing talent right now. I, I know there are, besides her, there are a ton of good, young, both professional and amateur Swedish players. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but one last sponsor to thank today, and that, of course, is our good friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Great opportunity to get involved at the Travelers this weekend, the KPMG, the BMW International. Lots of good golf happening. So head to DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Check out all that they have to offer, including same-game parlays, player props, live betting, and so much more. DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook app, is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. And if Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, don't forget about the DraftKings Fantasy app. They're offering millions of dollars in total prizes every week. Download and sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook to get in on all the exciting action and for a shot at winning cash. New customers will receive a free bet up to $1,000 in free bets if your first bet loses. Sign up using promo code NLU to get this offer and start seeing all the great ways DraftKings brings you closer to your favorite sports. Well, we're about, I, I, I can't believe it, we're almost through the end of June, which means we're almost halfway through the LPGA season. We're kind of coming up on the exact halfway point in terms of events. So I thought while I have you today, uh, you know, let's, let's go through some midseason superlatives, if you will. Uh, uh, let me ask you thus far, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but uh, player of the year thus far for 2022 on the LPGA tour, who, who's your pick? Well, it has to be Menji, right? I, yeah, of course. I feel like there's there's no 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 question at this point that that Menji. Although Jennifer Cupcho, you know, now the only multiple other player on tour to win multiple titles, clearly also has a major. Is someone that I started thinking about it yesterday watching the coverage. I said, "Good, could Jennifer Cupcho be Player of the Year?" I mean, it's not it's not out of the question by any means. No, not at all. I, I think these, you know, the the remaining three majors will go a long way towards informing who that will be. But yeah, I was glad that she followed up her win uh, from earlier this year at the at the Chevron with uh, with a win last week in in Grand Rapids. Uh, how about best moment of the year? Mm, I you know I I really enjoyed. Mina hair guy at the women's open. I feel like maybe we're, I'm doing too much women's open stuff, but it was really significant for the women to have two players walk away with million dollar checks. And it's the first time in, in history that the second place finisher at an LPGA sanctioned event, you know, gets, gets a, a seven figure check. So that, that was massive. And then it went to somebody who just a few years ago, didn't know if she'd have enough money to even keep playing and, you know, is, is trying to find her groove back on the cactus tour uh, is uh, going to friends and family to, to float the rest of her season with no sponsors. I mean, it's, it, I, I just feel like it really, really told the tale of, of exactly how important that is. 
I'm, I'm right there with you. I, the only other things I was thinking about personally was like, for instance, Marina Alex winning, um, at Palace Verdes. I, I think she's just such a, she seems like such a popular player among her peers. We've, I've gotten to talk to her. I, I really like her. Um, I, I thought that was one of the better moments this year. Um, and then obviously non LPGA, right. We just talked about Lynn Grant. I, I think if we just talk about women's golf in general, that's certainly in the conversation as well. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, if, if you were to not, if you were to take it beyond LPGA, Lynn Grant, hands down. Yeah. 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 Um, how about, how about, uh, biggest surprise for you thus far? So I, I, Andrea Lee, this is on a positive note, and then maybe I'll go to negative note afterwards. Yeah, but. I love the negative notes too. <laughs> <laughs> but but on a positive note, it, Andrea Lee, I mean, here's a player who, you know, had a great first rookie year and then a poor second rookie year because of COVID, there were two of them. And, and it really felt like she just, you know, got screwed for lack of a better word, you know, that, that, that none of what she did in 2020 counted, you know? And so, you know, here we are, you know, she's back on the Epson tour. She wins on the Epson tour. And then all of a sudden now she's set for the rest of the season. You know, she just kept parlaying one thing into the next thing. And, and it's just really fun to watch because this is a player who had a tremendous career at Stanford, another, a three and a half year player, if you will. <laughs> and, and just, just, just as salt of the earth, nice as she could be easy player to root for. And I, I just love that, that she's back in the mix, you know, and, and went deep into match play, turned around, played great at, at, at the U S women's open. And I didn't get to write it. I'm going to go back and write it, but I had a good conversation with her about hitting rock bottom the year before and what that did for her and, and what she learned from it. And I love rock bottom stories, especially for players who spent so long at the top in amateur golf like she did, that I think that's important for people, youngsters especially, to hear. Well, then how about how about kind of a biggest surprise in a not so good way for you? That we are talking about Jin Young Ko, honestly. Like, I, I mean, I, I mean, she won once, right? But but that triple at Wilshire was sh- just shocking that that totally out of character for her the way she played that hole and then it just feels like i'm not saying it's a bad thing that there are so many other people that we're talking about now it's a good thing for when it's golf but uh but i you know i just i I just thought she would have done more by now it's already june and she's only won once it just i mean we we expect a lot now really (laughs) (laughs) yes we do we do well that kind of feeds into uh the next superlative which is biggest disappointment and I guess if I was thinking on course, you know, just in, in the results or lack of results for anybody this year, that, that is the biggest disappointment. But if you have an off course disappointment too, I would be curious about that. Well, that's, I, I feel like I've just beaten on her, but Lexi Thompson, I mean, she's, you know, she's given us some glimmers of hope here that, that the drought might finally end. And, you know, a couple of runner up finishes started off really strong at pine needles again. And it just, it just feels like some of that edge is gone. And, and so, you know, as far as like players that fans root for the hardest, you know, Lexi is definitely near the top of that list, if not at the top, given all that she's been through over the course of her career. And, 
it just feels like the longer we go without a win, you know, the, the we, again, I don't know why I keep saying, but the women's game <laughs> feels like the longer she goes without a win. It just, it just, it's just disappointing. And not for her too. I mean, it's not like it's just us, you know, imagine how she feels. She right. works so hard. I, I would venture to say no one works harder than Lexi Thompson. I truly believe that. I think she's grinding all the time. If she's not grinding on the golf course, she's grinding in the gym. That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I, I'm just, I, I, I hear that and I don't disagree with any of it. I, I'm the, the two players that I had in mind, and I don't know how to rank them in terms of biggest disappointment. I think I would give the nod to Patty Tavitanikit. And I, I say that realizing she had a, I think she finished fourth at the Chevron earlier this year. And I, she has another top 10 this year, but at least, very recently, it seems like she's trending the exact opposite direction. And seeing her last year, I, I had such high hopes for her. Um, and I don't know if this is kind of a, you know, quote unquote, sophomore slump or or what really is is wrong with her game. But that's that's probably the one I've been most disappointed. And the other one was Yuka Sasso, who seems mm. to be fighting her game a little bit as well now. Uh, th- those are the two kind of at the the forefront of my mind, at least. Yeah, I thought Pine Needles was going to be a Patty Tavitanic at course, given, you know, her length and how high she hits it. And, you know, I was expecting firm and <laughs> and I thought, right. oh, Pat, Pez is all Patty, you know. And, uh, and yeah, no. <laughs> I, was, I, I had to do the, the search, you know, by Apple F. Like, where is Patty? <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I'm just, I, God, I'm looking... And when you talk about Lexi's drought, I mean, we're talking since 20 June of 2019. So over three years now, since she has any win on the LPGA tour, let alone certainly the major drought. That's, that's amazing. Right. It's shocking. Like you almost have to like put it on paper to really like appreciate how, how long it's been since so many of these top players have on the LPGA have won a major and yeah, Lexi, her, Yeah. 2019 after going like every season winning she had the like crazy right. long streak of winning every year that she was on tour and then and then now this looking ahead to the rest of 2022 is there and of course it probably a lot of what we've just talked about but is there a storyline or or something you're most curious over over the second half of 2022 yeah i think how deep can menji take it i mean i i think she's um certainly intriguing. I, I, I don't think any more intriguing than Nellie though. I mean, you know, Nellie's already been a number one player in the world, obviously overcoming a, a health battle. And, and it, it feels like it wouldn't be surprise anyone to see her pick off a major here, uh, you know, in the next few months. So um, I think both of them are equally intriguing. And then as far as players, and maybe we limited to players we haven't mentioned yet uh, is there anybody that you think is is poised for a big second half maybe a, a breakthrough maiden victory anything like that uh that that you uh have your eye on i guess yeah i mean i i know we, we've already talked about leona i feel like we did but i feel like i feel like leona could be you know we look at, at the next couple of majors i love her at, at mirrorfield as well um, I, I just, I feel like she is due for, for a big moment and will be extremely fired up after 
the short miss yesterday against Jennifer Cupcho. And of course they had that big single duel at the Solheim cup and, you know, who was going to be the woman of the match and, and, and Leona came out on top and then now they go head to head and, and it was stunning that Leona missed that putt on the second playoff hole from, you know, no, no more than three feet, look less than three feet from my TV screen. But uh, no shot link to tell me exactly how far it was, but <laughs> short enough for my husband to go. Was that the same length as that one girl? Which she's talking about IK Kim at the <laughs> at the Chevron. I was like, no, it was longer than that. But I was like 18 inches. But um, but anyways, it was. Uh, so I, I I feel like Leona is going to come back with a vengeance. Um, clearly, she already won once this year, which was which was a big deal. But um, but I I I just always look look for her. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll throw out a couple. I, I've been Lilia Vu is somebody that was not on my radar at all. I, I think I, I'm consistently seeing her on on more and more leaderboards and and recognize that she's having a great year. I don't know if if that's going to include a, a breakthrough victory or not. And then the other one, she's obviously near and dear to our heart, is just Madeline Sackstrom seems to be playing the best golf of her career. She's got four top tens this year, and I'm just so hopeful there's a, a big breakout coming uh, sooner than later for her in terms of following up her, her one LPJ victory or, or even snagging a major. I mean, I, I think she's somebody that would not shock me at all uh, even if she picks off, you know, a KPMG, for instance, I, I, I think her best golf is, is in front of her. No, I agree. She's got, she's got a beautiful, powerful, powerful game. And, uh, and, and she's another one that just, you know, won and then COVID just kind of unfortunately snapped her momentum there. And then it's nice to see that she's, she's gaining it back. Lots of good stuff. Uh, I'm super excited for, like you said, at the top, we still have three majors. Uh, I cannot wait for the Cincinnati event. There, there's a number of events that it just should be a great second half for the, for the LPGA. Um, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the amateur golf that's, that's happened recently. And I think I'll start with the Curtis cup. Uh, they played at Marion a couple weeks ago at, just looked awesome on TV. The U.S. absolutely dominated Great Britain and Ireland, fifteen and a half to four and a half. What's what are your big takeaways? And, and I guess how how bright is the future of American women's golf, at least? So, <laughs> first of all, let's start with a positive. A positive being that uh, the camaraderie of this team was fantastic. The leader in Rose Zhang the way she conducts herself, the humble approach that she has to, to being a teammate. I think um, she set the tone for the entire team. And, and, and so I think that that's uh, so important because, you know, I just think it filters down the way, the way she acts. And I've never seen a group be so engaged with kids. I mean, there were tons of kids at Marion, which which hats off to the membership and everyone in the community. And this group was all about it. They they were constantly signing autographs and taking pictures and just getting down on the ground and playing with these kids. And it was so cool to see. And it wasn't a show. It was it was genuine. And so when cameras weren't there, you know, they were just doing it. And so Rachel Heck is 
is great with kids as well. I mean, it's just a really fun, you know, engaging dynamic team. And so, you know, I definitely think that there are players on that team that could have long careers on the LPGA. However, I thought that before. <laughs> and, and when I went back, I don't remember what my numbers were here. Uh, it was startling. Do you have my numbers from when I, I, I counted up the number? Oh, here you go. Yeah. 11 out of 69 American Curtis Cup players have won on the LPGA in the last 20 years, which is just stunning, really. When you and, and I, I had to do that count a couple of times to make sure I didn't miss anybody. But, um, you know, and one of those is, is the Dow team event, which so really we could say 10 and a half. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm just. And I feel like, you know, this is where I want, I know you wanted to get into Mike Wan's development program, but this is where I think that could be so, so important. Uh, and I, and I think part of that too, is one of the things Sweden does so well is that their national coaches are with them from when they're, you know, 14 years old, all the way through not, they don't stop in college. They continue on into the professional ranks and, and, and Norquist and Norquist still has, you know, the Swedish coaches that she had when she was a kid at her disposal, should she need anything. She also comes back and, and, and speaks to the kids at, or the, the kids <laughs> speaks to the, so some of them are kids, <laughs> to yeah, the younger right. players and, and passes on, you know, her wisdom and what she's learned. And, and I think that's so important too, that, that, that give back element so that it's not that they just feed into someone and then it just kind of graduates with them. It's, it's trickling back down. So it's, it's the intangibles like that, but then it's also the tangibles that there's, there's an apartment in, in Scottsdale that apartments in Scottsdale that that players can stay at, you know, in the, in the summertime or throughout throughout. There can be their base when they're playing on tour and, and the Swedish Federation funds that. So I just think that there's the Aussies have the same thing in Orlando and it's for men and women. And I, I think there's just this, this feeling that Americans have all these resources that everyone can do it on their own when in reality you know, everyone's doing it on their own, but not to the best of their ability. Are we really maximizing our potential as a country, given what all the other countries are doing? Well, and you mentioned the Mike Wan recently uh, in, at the Curtis Cup unveiled a development program. Can, can you talk about why? Well, you kind of have talked about why that's important, but give any specific details on, on what exactly this development program entails, I guess. Well, I th it's going to start with juniors. It sounds like they're they're looking at like perhaps twelve to seventeen. He said uh, he's hired Heather Daly Donafrio, who you know used to uh, run everything inside the ropes on the at the LPGA, and has recently moved over to the USGA to for this purpose to to be the managing director of this program, which he said they'll they'll it'll have forty million dollars behind it. That's that's what they're they're looking to raise and. And Mike Wan's very passionate about it because he's seen firsthand what all these other countries, you know, put into developing their talent. And, and he knows, he knows, he's seen the results of that. So, you know, I, I commend him for doing something that Myra Blackwelder has been trying to do for a very long time. She's a former LPGA rookie of the year. Daughter Mallory played, played professionally, played on tour. Her husband, Worth, longtime caddy. And, and, you know, she, she knew she, and Myra was a Kentucky coach. So, you know, as a, 
as a college coach, looking at what all these international players came in with, you know, she, she had an up close view as well. So I, I think this is long overdue for American golf, especially on the women's side, but it will be available to men too. It's not just for, for American women, but I think the Curtis cup is a, while that was a tremendous uh, showing, it is a poor representation when you look at, you know, when they get out on tour, they're playing the rest of the world, you know, and this, and, mm-hmm. and really Great Britain and Ireland is like a few States, <laughs> you know, so um, it's just, it's um, it, it would have been a much tougher contest for the Americans had it been the U S versus Europe, for example. Right. right. When you look at that Curtis cup squad this year, who, who on that team do you think has the most high end potential? I, I think Rose Zhang has the the head to win major championships. I think she's just so mentally strong and so wise beyond her years. Uh, they, you know, they call her the old sage, as you know. Um, <laughs> but I, I also think that uh, Amari Avery, even though you know she burst onto the scene really in, in the short game as a as a tiny tot, you know, <laughs> in the Netflix series, she's been around and in the spotlight, but she really hadn't won a lot really until she got to college. And then, and so I, I think she, you know, watching her hit the golf ball, the Curtis cup up close, you know, she can flat out hit it. Oh my goodness. So much power there. And, and I, I think she, she, you know, has the complete package in terms of, of being magnetic and, and being so athletic. And, and I do think she has a great support system, uh, you know, and I, and I'm, I was pleased to hear her say that she was going to go back to college as well. And this is where NIL certainly, you know, is, is playing a, a role in that these players are, 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 I don't know exactly the, the exact number of how much they're making, but Rose and Rachel are in the six figures and I'm sure Amari's doing pretty well with Nike. So you know, I think that, that that's, that's, that's huge for them to stick around and, and develop more, not only as players, but as people, because when you get out on the LPGA, it's not like the men's tour in that when you're 18, generally speaking, you're 17, 18, 19, mom and dad, one of them are going to go with you. They're not just going to send you out and nor should they send you out in the wide world by yourself. So it's a much more sheltered you know, lifestyle for, for a young, a youngster on the LPGA, a young woman on the LPGA, as opposed to, you know, men getting out there at 22, 23 and, and mom and dad might come watch you play, but they're not, you know, doing your laundry and making you dinner. Right. Right. Um, I was curious. I, so the other big amateur event, uh, in the, since I've talked to you is the NCAA championships, which, Stanford won as a team. Uh, it was it was a I thought a great tournament. Uh, Oregon very worthy competitor. I thought they were probably clearly the the two best teams. I'm I'm glad they faced off in the finals. And along with that, Rose Zhang captured the individual NCAA title. Um, and I I guess we still don't firmly know the answer to this, but I, I guess I was more curious about Rose and what she would do. Given that she won the NCAA title, the team won the team title, she's off to a flying start in college golf. She's the one that I'm just not sure how long she'll stick around. Obviously, the NIL stuff is in place, which could lead to at least one more year. I think I would be surprised if she stayed all four years. Um, but I, now you add Megagane to that unit at Stanford next year, and um, 
yeah, is I, I feel like, you know, obviously we had the documentary on Stanford women's team this year and, and they were a historical group. And it's like, man, next year they, they could be, should you do it again? Yeah. I know they, they could be so much better, which is a very scary thought. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I asked you a question and all that, except for, I, I guess the, the person I'm most curious about is, is Rose and, now that Q series has said you have to turn professional to compete, I, I think that would maybe lead me to guess that that she goes back to Stanford for at least one more year. But in my mind, at least there, there's a hint of intrigue there in, in what she will do. Yes, I agree. I, I definitely think that um, I thought that would be a potential wrench in her staying for the full year. Now, you know, since she couldn't defer uh, as Jennifer Cupcho and Maria Fossey did. But um, after listening to her, you know, on your podcast and, and, you know, at the US Women's Open, you know, she, she said she's staying for another year. So, um, you know, I agree with you. I think four years would be, I would be shocked if she stayed for four years. I feel like two years sends a big statement in and of itself uh, in terms of when I say statement, I mean that that you can get something out of college, even if you've accomplished everything there is in the amateur game, there's, there's more to life and the development as a person. And I think that's, that's really important because the LPGA can be a very lonely place where burnout is a, is, is a real thing. And so if she wants to have a long career in the LPGA, uh, I think this is a great a great decision. And there's no question that when she says she's having the time of her life, it is very obvious that she is telling the truth. Yes. That, that was so apparent spending six days with them and the whole Stanford team. Like I was just shocked by, I can be as cynical as they get. And sometimes I even enjoy a bit of cynicism, but (laughs) that, that unit and, and their cohesiveness is it's legitimate and, and it's, it's really amazing credit to, to coach Ann Walker, what she's built there and just how much they care for each other, look out for each other, help each other and, and push each other as well, which, which is important. Yes. And I, I agree with you. Huge credit to Ann Walker, you know, to have so many talented players get along and put ego aside and play as a team and play for each other. And that goes down to recruiting a certain types of players as well. So I think she's done a great job of putting, putting the the pieces together. And and obviously, you know, by extension, those, those fingerprints are all over the Curtis cup team, which you mentioned Mm -hmm. the, the camaraderie and, and what they were able to, to build as a, as a team. Uh, Very, very impressive. Bethany, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, I thought, and it's, God knows it's not my favorite topic, but I, I do think it's interesting to talk about the potential, obviously the, the Saudi stuff going on in the men's game, the, the live it's, it's dominated our podcast and, and certainly what everybody's talking about, thinking about, I thought you wrote a, a great piece uh, without really inserting your own opinions into it. You, you talked to a number of LPGA players just about, Hey, if Saudi, makes a play with, with women's golf. Uh, what are your thoughts? What happens? Have you considered it? Can you, for, for people that haven't read the piece, I, one, I would encourage them to, to read it. It's at golf week. Um, 
can you can you just talk about what you were trying to do with that piece and and some of your biggest takeaways from from talking to to actual players? Sure. I I mean obviously it's it's the the topic of conversation in our game and and it's 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 the ramifications will will be huge. And when you look at when you look at the women's game right now, you almost can't be an LET player and decide not to, 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 to play for Saudi money because there's, there's so many events with million dollar purses, which are, you know, three, four times what, what your typical purse is on the ladies European tour that, you know, it's, it's already playing a huge role on, on the LET. So it's not a stretch given that they've already invested so heavily on that tour, which by the way, falls under the LPGA's umbrella to uh to to wonder you know what is coming down uh the hill you know toward the lpga what boulder is steamrolling and so so i wanted to just get a pulse and ask players what they're thinking and you know and i asked you know their thoughts some you know allison lee for example is is sponsored by the Aramco series and and Golf Saudi, so she has a Aramco on her hat and Golf Saudi on her sleeve, and and there are a number of players on the LPGA now uh, with those logos. And so you know we we talked about that, and you know I talked to players who played in the events on, on the LET, uh, both you know in Saudi Arabia and in other countries, and you know of course there are appearance fees over there, and so that that's so unusual on the LPGA. So you're looking at players who, who don't necessarily have a lot of money that they're making off the golf course, like Angel Yen, for example. I had no logos whatsoever when I talked to her, no sponsors. And, uh, and, and so the, the conversations are very different than the men's game because it's, look, this appearance fee or this sponsorship is covering my expenses for the whole year. And so now I can go play freely and not worry about just trying to make a cut to make money, you know, or, or how much money is going out of my bank account week after week after week. Uh, and, and so it's a different mindset for them. So it's a very different conversation uh, than, than what you're seeing on, on the men's side. Uh, and I think I took it a step further. And, you know, what if there was a, a, a female live tour? a tour that, that, that operated um, independently of the LPGA and offered $5 million, $10 million purses. That's the, the $10 million purse at the U.S. Women's Open was the largest in women's golf history. What if there were several of those? And, and what if that could potentially crush the LPGA? You know, those, those were just questions I asked to see what players were thinking. And I know, uh, like you and I have, have talked it's the the pga tour is much more positioned to offer resistance to the influence of of saudi arabia and, and the live tour and we're still seeing very prominent names making the jump i i think what what your piece really highlights and and the reality of the situation is the, the lpga really has no defenses if if mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia would want to create a whole new women's golf tour. Uh, and we don't know. And, and I think we, we kind of leave it at that as, as we'll see, but I, I just personally speaking, it would, in my mind, it would stand to reason if you're making such a big play on the men's side, 
eventually you're going to get more involved in, and want to make some type of play on the women's side. It would seem like to me, but I, that's just purely my opinion and, and my thinking. I, you know, obviously I don't know anything, but it, it would seem like this is going to be something that is, yeah. is, is going to make news at, at some point down the road. Well, and I, I think it's important that, that, that players really start to wrestle with it in their mind, you know, and maybe it never comes. But if it comes, you know, I think it's really important to to ask yourself questions, not only about how it impacts you and your your family and and the generational wealth. Brittany Altamare saying, you know, Rory McIlroy said, you know, one hundred million dollars isn't really going to change my life. And she said that a couple million dollars would change mine drastically. And it a fraction of, of small, small fraction of what uh, these men are, are, are making just to, just to join the tour, let alone, you know, tee it up. So it wouldn't take much in from, from golf Saudi to c- completely alter the women's golf landscape forever. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what happens if they do that? And in five years, 10 years down the road, they change their mind and they pull out then what's left. And I think that's that's a really important question that that everyone on the LPGA needs to wrestle with. Yeah. Uh, what's your the, the the common theme from that piece, or maybe not the common theme, but but one of the bigger points some of the players made was we'd love speaking of the LPGA, the current schedule. I think there's a sense that some players would love less tournaments, meaning less travel and thereby increasing the purses at those remaining events. What's your take on that dynamic? Because I can certainly see it from the player's side, but also from the tour's perspective, you know, getting to more places and exposing more people and locations to to the women's game is is good, right? That has certainly tangible and intangible benefits as well. What what do you make of the amount of, of... events currently on the schedule, uh, the, 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 the travel that's asked of these players, if you were, if you were commissioner, would you dramatically change how the schedule is? Definitely the $1.5 million purses, you know, I had so many players say to me, we need to be playing for a minimum of $2 million, no more 1.5. Even if you make the cut, you could lose money, you know, and that, that's a problem. (laughs) So, so I, I, you know, if that means that you have to cut the number of events, then so be it. You know, I think the LPGA historically has a philosophy of looking out for the bottom half of the tour more than the top half of the tour, which is why I was so happy to see, you know, the top 10 rule come into play. You know, it was great to see them, them, the, the Sophia Popov rule, you know, all the, all the things that, you know, protect the membership, but really what it's doing is it's protecting the bottom of the membership and keeping good young talent from coming in. And so, you know, I, I definitely understand, you know, Ryan O'Toole was, was one of the players, you know, mentioning this and, you know, she talked about, we want to have families out here. It's really hard to juggle both when you feel like you have to play, in this huge schedule and, and you're, you know, you're playing for smaller purses. So um, I, I, I don't think it would be such a bad idea to explore a radical shift. I also think it's not a bad idea to explore 
uh, a title sponsor for the tour, much like an Epson on 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 the the developmental tour that would help, you know, raise the purses throughout the entire tour, help pay for marketing, uh, you know, other things, you know, Um, nobody cared when ProMedica was added to the U.S. Women's Open. Exactly. Uh, and who's the, I know the, the women's tennis association just got a big, you know, overall presenting sponsor and yeah, it's, it's fabulous. Like the ProMedica at the U S like that doesn't detract one single bit from a a fan viewing perspective of the event. It's a complete no brainer in my opinion. Right. Exactly. I I'd love to see that happen. You know, if it, you know, if, if, if it came with a big price tag that, that elevated everything. Um, and I, I, and I don't, I don't think a smaller schedule, uh, would, would be a bad thing and it could still be, you know, global, but you know, if you're not going to as many events, it's not as big of a deal, you know, to go, you know, to go overseas if, if your schedule is smaller on the whole. Uh, but you know, I just think, I, I do think the tour, needs to think about protecting its top players more given what's happening uh, on the men's side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, currently I just looking, there are nine such events with one and a half million dollar purses this year and uh, a handful more that are, you know, kind of 1.6 to, to 1.8 and, and some, some of my favorite events, like for instance, the match play is a one and a half million dollar purse. Now, granted that that's less players. And mm-hmm. so that might not be the best example, but, um, there, there's, there are quite a few of them. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think this is, um, as so many players said to me, everything's on the table right now for them. Everything should be on the table for the LPGA too. All right. Well, let's, I don't want to end on quite a somber note. I don't think I ever asked you for your official pick for the KPMG. Let's, let's end with some official picks. <laughs> uh, even though, uh, let's see, we're not on the ground yet. So don't, don't hold us <laughs> to that. But um, I mean, I, I, I'm going to go with Nelly. Why not? Right. That's certainly, yeah, certainly a, a very good pick. Uh, my heart wants Madeline to win. Um, I think my head, I, I, Brooke Henderson is one that, you know, maybe, maybe she's in line to, to capture her, her second major this week. I'll, uh, a good pick recent winner, recent winner, uh, good form. You know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I've, I've, I, I don't want to <laughs> give Canada that, that satisfaction. I'm going to take a, a tie at cool. She's, she's my pick. Uh, another, another good pick. And that would, that would certainly, uh, be a breakout. Obviously she's already won on tour this year, but to win a major would really, uh, really be a breakout moment for her. Well, Bethann, I can't wait to see you maybe tomorrow. Uh, certainly (laughs) hang out a bit this week and, um, yeah, just can't wait to get to, to DC and, and watch some really good golf this week. So thank you for joining. Thank you. Always fun.
I'm merging.